following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Um, can we can we pray real quick as we go into this? Father, we uh, we don't even comprehend the gravity of this moment. We believe that your word is powerful and effective, able to cut right to the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, that it is, it is powerful and that it, uh, it changes us. Uh, it shows us you and reveals your will and your way. It, uh, it unpacks us. It, uh, it reads us and it changes us. And so, Lord, we pray that the words of our mouth, my mouth, and the meditations of our hearts, that they would be pleasing in your sight, knowing that you are the rock and our redeemer. Pray that you would be with every prayer concern, every expression of need, every health need uh, for, for mom and, and for Fred and for Jerry and for many others, for the comfort for Kenny's family, for all that we've mentioned this morning. We pray that you would cover these things by your grace and that you would help us to shine for your glory. Please bring your word forward in power and prepare our hearts to come to your table in, in, in awe in humility, in reverence, in worship, in thanksgiving, and, in, and uh, to, be, to be mindful and to remember what you've done for us. We love you, Lord. Open our ears, our hearts, our minds, our lives. In this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, I retitled this morning's message because it just, you know, for me, t- the, the title doesn't come until I'm absolutely done because then it just leaps off the page. And so the title for this morning's message, which is different than the lifeline, but the same as what you'll see online, is Dealing with Danger. So let me ask you a question. Do you ever deal with danger? Anybody go through a, a hurricane recently or a storm or, you know, like, I mean, I, I feel like we're, we're, we often deal with danger, right? And, and, and here's, here's my conviction. Last week, and we'll read in just a moment, we were challenged to strive to enter through the narrow gate door away, right? Like, and Jesus says, I am the door, I am the way, right? We were to strive to enter in, in a more complete, thorough, um, intimate way. And trust me, he's, <laughs> he, he's all in, right? He's all in for us. So it's just a matter of us wanting more of him and, and putting him first and seeking him with all of our heart earnestly. And, uh, but, but, you know, he says that, that it's a narrow way. And he says that few will enter in to it. And he also mentions that the characteristics of the narrow way is hard versus the broad path that leads to destruction that many will walk Right is is uh, is is many, and so he answers the question of this really sweet man with a very very heartfelt question, acknowledging his lordship. He says, "Is it going to be few? Like, are just is this, there's just going to be a few? Now, let me just unpack that for just a moment. Um, how many people made it through the flood, Noah's flood? Eight. And the truth is that the other seven made it on his coattails because this is, it was Noah who was considered righteous, blameless among his generation. And then my favorite one is he walked with God. He walked with God. He was righteous only because what makes us righteous? Faith, right? Faith. 
Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's been the same way ever since. We don't, we don't, we're not righteous by our own works. We're called to walk in righteousness once we're made righteous in the righteousness of Christ. But righteousness is imputed to us by childlike faith. Just try, and it's not faith that just uh, just agrees with God about the fact that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. But but it's faith that is so genuine that it lives differently because of that truth, that reality in our lives. And so Noah, right? The reason that Noah was was God's instrument is because he was a man of faith, right? He was because of that he was he he was he was righteous among his generation. And keep in mind, this generation was, it says, every thought was only evil all the time and it grieved the heart of God. And he says, man's days will be 120 years. And he, and he brings judgment. But in the midst of that, he finds a righteous instrument, an instrument that trusts him. And then most beautifully, he walks with him. He walks with him. Guys, are you walking with the Lord? Or are you asking him to walk with you? Right? Like, so, so Noah was, was saved in an instrument of wood, much like the cross, right? From God's judgment, just much like the Passover, right? By the blood of Jesus, right? And, 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 and that this is his trusting God and that his word works. And that I'm going to obey it when it, especially when it doesn't make any sense and it goes completely culture, counterculture to my, to my thinking and my, and my flesh and my feelings. You think it was easy for Noah to build a boat in the desert when it had never rained before? Don't you think he sounded a little mad when he said what he was doing? And yet he was spared. And so here's my question to this text. Was he few? Um, was it few who were saved among ju- ju- mo- I mean, uh, Noah's generation? Was it few? Let's, let's go fast forward. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham begs, begs God. If there's, he gets to the point and says, if there's only 10, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of Lot? I mean, First Peter tells us that Lot was righteous because he was pleading with his generation to be saved, right? Not to do wicked things. And, uh, and that would put, that put him at odds with his culture. Don't, don't you know that's going to be the case for us? And, uh, and how many people were saved from the, the, the tragedy of Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment that fell upon this, this, the, these two cities that would never be archived, just as God said? How, how many people were saved? Three. Could have been four, but she turned, her, she turned around, right? Like she didn't honor God's word. And there are consequences for not honoring God's word. And his, and his daughters, truthfully, his daughters were completely in, in, wrapped up in the culture based on what they did later on. But, but he was, and it says, because of his righteous. How are we righteous? By faith. And so how many were saved from Sodom and Gomorrah? Was it few? Right? And, and, and you know, we, we can talk about deliverance from Egypt, Right? Arguably, two and a half, three million people, Israelites, walk out of Egypt, delivered from by the by the plagues, delivered by the hand of God, walk through walls of water, you know, d- delivered from the army of Pharaoh. I mean, powerful moment. But of these two and a half, three million people that walk out of Egypt, how many of them enter the promised land? Two. 
Two and a half, easily, million people and, and a whole generation dies in the desert. Why? And it's told to us over and over again, disobedience that came from disbelief. That's why. But Caleb and Joshua, what did they say? I don't care if they're giants. I don't care what the odds are. I don't care what circumstances dictate. God said. And because God said, I will walk in his word and I will trust him. And they're the only two that walked out of Egypt and walked across the the Jordan and entered the promised land. Is it few folks? History says that that's true. Jesus says, when I come back, will I even find faith on the earth? And this, this is not the only statement that Jesus makes about, about just how the, you know, how, how the church is going to be infiltrated by evil when he talks about the kingdom. And so hear what this says. Please hear what this passage says, and then we dive in. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem, by the way, but that was his mission. It was his narrow path. It was the race that was marked before him. He Guys, he raced to that cross, knowing that it meant your salvation. He raced to it, but he also knew all of the implications. He knew the pain. He knew, the, he knew everything he would face, and he still did it. And he said, not my will, Father, but yours. Amazing. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Verse 23. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who... Or, and, and it's interesting, he calls him Lord, not teacher, not rabbi, not master. He calls him Lord. And, and, and guys, you know why I think this is such a sweet moment? He says, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Not only does, I don't know if it's based on the references I just made, but what it's really based in is, and I, maybe you felt this way, as you grow to understand the narrow path and, and, and what a, a genuine Christian looks like in love and demonstration of Christ's life and ministry, don't you start to feel like, oh my goodness, it is few. And the truth is, the, 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 those, the children of God have always been few, always, and it will always be that way. But that doesn't mean that the gates of hell will prevail and Christ won't build his church. It just means in contrast, let me give you an example. How many babies born humanly, how many babies were born yesterday? Anybody? We don't know, right? But how many people were born again into the kingdom of God, into, into Christ yesterday? Don't you think the contrast is many to few? Right? That, that's just, that's, that, that's the truth of it. But that doesn't change God's heart because God's desire is that none should perish. So no one goes to hell because God wanted them to. Right? Nobody does. In fact, it says the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. But many are following him right down that broad path that leads to destruction. And it says, this is what Jesus says in response to this question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? He said to them, and I love that Jesus shines on, he, he spins the question to say, let's talk about you instead of them. Like, we love to talk about them, don't we? What them do, you know. Um, Anyway, strive to enter through the narrow door, speaking of himself. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to at the end of the day. 
He's talking about when the, to use the Noah analogy, when the, when the door is shut. Right? When, when the ark, when God closed the ark and shut it in, do you think there was anybody banging on the, on the boat later on? When judgment? Okay, so that, that's what, that's what's being said here. And it says, when once the master of the house has risen, and he's talking about himself, and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I, I do not know where you came from. In other words, you are a stranger to me. You're not my bride. Then you will begin to say, huh, but we ate and drank with you in your presence, and, we, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. You're not, you're not intimate to me. We don't know. You don't know me. I don't really know you. You're not my... And it goes back to um, the bridal conversation in Genesis 3. Leave and cleave and the two will become one. And so um, he says... And he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. By the way, eternally, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out and people will come from the east and the west. And this is talking about Gentiles and every nation, creed and culture. People will come from the east and the west, north and south, and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. With me. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And what he was talking about there, the Jews thought they were first. And they thought the Gentiles were last. And they were wrong. Right? And so I don't have this in the slide, but I just want to point to the, for what Jesus is really talking about, because in John ten nine he says, I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I, I came, Jesus declares his purpose. I came that they, right, both Jew and Gentile may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no way back to life but through me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has declared that. And we said last, I know I said last week that you don't need another way when, when the way that, when, when that way is perfect. Why, why have another way? Right? So here, I, this is what he says in verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door for many, many answering the question that was asked. I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to on the last day. Question for you. Are you striving to know and grow in your intimacy with Jesus, our Lord? Are you striving to walk the narrow path? To, to enter? Does a, marriage, does a marriage benefit from a continued pursuit of each other's hearts? Yeah, right? Like, and, 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 and deepening of, of time and communication. Are you striving to know and grow in your intimacy with Jesus? There will be a day that will come when many will seek to enter and will not be able to. Man, that should beckon our hearts to share the gospel. Right? I mean, 
See, not everyone who says to me, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven because it's not true. You can, you can call someone by name. It doesn't mean you know him. You could, you could call him by an accurate name. Yeah, he's Lord, but he's not your Lord because your life doesn't reflect that. He says, not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's what it looks like to walk the narrow path. It's obedience that is received by the Lord. as That's his love language, we're told in, in John 14, 21. On that day, many will say to me, that, that day, the day of the Lord's return, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works, mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness or sin. Jesus declares who he is in Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14. He says, enter, enter. He's inviting people into intimacy with him. He says, enter by the narrow gate, speaking of himself. You can only get to the Father through me. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so the verse screams at us again in verse 24. Strive or do your best to enter through the narrow Door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to on that day. So that's the backdrop of these next five verses that we'll just look at for a moment this morning. And what I want to say to you is that I, I, I title the message Dealing with Danger. Did Jesus deal with danger? I mean, did people want to kill him? Do you know he went back to his own hometown and they wanted, which was on a cliff overlooking this this the, the breadbasket of Palestine. And do you know that they wanted to throw him off the cliff? But it wasn't his time. It wasn't his hour. They wanted to kill him in, in, in the temple courts many times. Right? I mean, and it wasn't just the, the, the Jewish leaders that wanted his neck. Rome wanted him too. And Herod wanted to participate in that. I mean, he'd already killed John the Baptist and he was afraid that this was him coming back to get him. So let's take care of this guy as well. And so when we open up this next moment here in Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees are in Perea. Now, Perea is the region or territory on the uh, east side of the Jordan. So Jesus was over there, and for good reason, he was actually avoiding, right, some of the uh, those that were trying. I mean, at this point, there was there were many that wanted to, to kill him. And so there was there was that. But, but at this point, he's also making his way to a path that is riddled with danger. He's going back to Jerusalem. And it's interesting that these guys, in their own way, are trying to force him back to Judea, which is the, 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 the territory or the region where Jerusalem is. They're trying to manipulate him by fear, which is the enemy's dart, right? He's always trying to get us to walk in fear rather than faith. And he's tr- they're trying to, to force him to go back to Jerusalem because that's where they can keep an eye on him and continue to test him, trying to trip him up so that they can kill him. And so they come with pretense as if they care about Jesus's well-being, right? But what they're trying to do is manipulate him by, by, by fear, which is never a motivator for him. 
right? What was he doing in the middle of the storm when everybody else was freaking out, thinking they're going to die? He's asleep on the cushion of the boat because he says, you know, my father's here. This, I got nothing to worry about, right? Do not worry. And so here we go. Verse 31 to 35 says, at that very hour, for sake of context, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and before cures uh, today and tomorrow. And then the third day I finish my course. Isn't that beautiful? Finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet, slight sarcasm here, it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Because that's where the prophets lose their life. Because they're telling people what God wants them to hear and they don't like it. Oh, Jerusalem, Jesus says, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. By who? That's right. How often would I... Now listen, this is such... Like this is the God-man now speaking. This, he's saying things here that we can't ever follow in. He is saying that I, I have always throughout all of your history... And he's saying, I, right? The, 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 one that, the, the word that became flesh and made his dwelling, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus says, over your history, I have longed to have you come under my wings, right? Under my care, protection, provision. But what does it say here? Listen to what it says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often... Would I have got, would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? Do, do you believe that God is wanting to beckon you to his presence so that he can care for you, protect you and, and provide for you? And yet, do you believe that oftentimes Humanity is just not willing. Like it's not because God's heart. I mean, this is not Jesus speaking in anger. This is Jesus speaking as a broken hearted shepherd. Broken hearted that they would not come under his wing. You, you, you ever, you ever seen a, a I don't know, maybe chickens or ducks. I, I, I think of ducks because I've seen this so often. You ever seen little ducks following their mother? Right, And then you see them in an area and they're just kind of doing their thing. And then all of a sudden danger comes and maybe the danger is me or you kind of showing up. And what, is, what does the mom do? She races to the little ones to bring them close, right? Now they, they're all kind of freaking out in fear and they're kind of scattering everywhere just like we do, right? They're just running all over the place and operating in fear. But she's seeking to put put her covering, which is her protection over them, right? And if it gets really dangerous, she, she might just go at whatever it is, right? And, and I, I believe that God does that too, 
right? And so I, I love what he's using as illustration here that he longed to do this for Israel, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And we'll talk about that as we close. I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, so so what's going on here is Herod Antipas, uh, the son of Herod the Great, which who wasn't so great, by the way. This was his appointed territory to rule. This was the attempt of the Pharisees in Perea to try to scare Jesus back to Jerusalem. And Herod thought that Jesus might be John the baptizer right back from the dead. And we see that in Luke 9, 7 through 9. Listen to what it says. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch, speaking of this Herod, one of the sons of uh, King Herod the Great, um, heard about all that was happening and he, uh, with Jesus, and he was perplexed because he was because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had, speaking of Jesus, had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this whom, about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Now that's past. Now he is in the posture of, because of the enemy's agenda, he is being provoked to try to kill Jesus. So Jesus seems, interestingly enough, steadfast and focused. Huh, isn't that a fantastic example to us, right? Jesus is a, excuse me, this, speaking of Herod, is a dangerous man with means. Let me put it in context. Not that he would ever do this, but this is like Governor DeSantis saying, I want to kill you. I just want you to know um, someone t- t- comes to tell you and says, Governor DeSantos wants you dead. Look, this is a guy with motive and means. Does that Would that invoke any kind of fear in you? That a man with some power and authority, um, you know, wants you dead. And But th- th- the thing is, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's not the only one. He's, I mean, Jesus is probably going, get in line, you know, get in line. Because, and that's where it's going, and he knows that. But you know what? This doesn't, this doesn't put him in a fearful posture. It actually, the statement that he makes is a statement of resolve. It's a statement of resolved. Tell that fox, right? I've got, I've got work to do today, tomorrow, and the third day. I know where I'm going, right? And so, like, it's so powerful how he responds to this. And here's my question for you. How do you respond to danger? This is really the question of the day. How do you respond? Because, you know, in our flesh, we have three responses. Fight. Anybody of those? Anybody of the fighters here? Right? Flight. Any of those here? Okay. And you don't want to put your hand up because then I might have to run. Um, but, then, but then there's a third one that, that Jerry's helped me to understand. And, and, and it's freeze. We see all of these in the animal culture, in the animal kingdom, right? Some of them fight. You know, some freeze. And then some you know, flee, right? They run, uh, fight, flight, or freeze. And Jesus models for us a different response. He walks in faith. And he's not looking to avoid the danger. Because look, think about what you might do here. Oh, I'm going to go hide somewhere, right? I'm going to stay as far away from that guy as I possibly... That's not what Jesus does. He runs to his mission, and his mission means his demise. But he knows that his demise means the salvation of the world and it's the center of God's will and he embraces it. Guys, how do you respond to danger? 
Because, you know, I, I, I want to say this. I think, uh, was, was Paul ever in danger in his missionary journeys, ever? Anything ever happened to Paul that was dangerous? Let, let, me, uh, let me read a few. Okay. Um, he, says, uh, he says, I was imprisoned, countless beatings, uh, often near dead. Five times I received um, at the hands of the Jews, by the way, the 40 lashes less one. That's what Jesus went through once, five times for Paul. Um, three, all, all for what purpose? Because he wanted to see the church of Jesus Christ come to know and grow. Right? Like three times I was beaten with rods. That's rods, plural, crossed his back. Once I was stoned, left for dead, by the way. Three times I was shipwrecked. How many times? A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Now, I mean, and, and, you know, frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in city. Do you hear a common word here? Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil of hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, without you know, often without food, food in cold and exposure. I mean, and it goes on. Guys, can I ask a question? Was, um, was Paul walking the narrow path? Was he in the center of God's will? The answer to both those questions is a resounding yes. And yet there was danger. There was hardship. There was persecution. There was pain. I'm, I'm not sure any of that was painful. Anybody? course right but did jesus walk a narrow path for us as a as an example and what is that narrow path it's it's the father's will do you do you believe that there's a road that's there's a race that hebrews 12 talks about there's a race that's marked out for you meaning that it's already in place did jesus have a race marked out for him do you have by the father's providence a race that's marked out for you and my question is are you running that race and if you are, please expect that there's going to be danger. Okay? But the question is, how do we respond to it? And Jesus gives us an awesome example here is he responds to it in faith. He's not deterred. He's resolved. He's steadfast. And he's focused on the Father. Right? And he's not letting these... Because what happens if every time there's danger, we peace out? What happens if that... You know what happens? We never grow up in the Lord. We never experience his power and presence and we never shine for his glory. Paul, when things happen to Paul, it says he gets stoned to death, left for dead. The the, the brothers surround him. We assume that's prayer. And what does he do when he gets back up? He goes back into the city and preaches the gospel. The very thing that caused him that painful moment. Anybody here been stoned lately? Beaten with rods? Five times with the cat of nine tiles, 30, 39 lashes minus, well, 40 minus one, 39 times. No, but, but this doesn't deter him. And you know, what's, you know what his motivator is? It's, it's what we read in Hebrews 12. He says, consider him, right? For the joy set before him did not, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. And why do we do this? Hebrews 12 says, so that we do not lose heart and grow weary. Anybody susceptible to losing heart and growing weary in the Christian walk? Just me? 
Okay, so what do we need to do? Keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Like we've got to, we got to set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. We got to have resolve because he, he first did it for us. We, we got to remember what Jesus did for us so that we can, we can stay the course, right? And keep our eyes on the prize. And do what Paul talks about in Philippians 3, right? Press on towards the goal to the upward prize of of knowing Christ, right? That you might share in in his sufferings, but also somehow in his resurrection. And that's not a statement of doubt. That's a statement of, I don't know how this works, right? It's amazing. So how do you respond to danger? Do you run? Do you hide? Do you fight? Do you freeze? Or do you stand in faith? Because when Jesus is in the boat, sleeping in the middle of of a, of a, a deadly storm, a deadly, things that we've seen, deadly storm, right? He was asleep. And when he woke up, the first thing he asked them was, anybody? Why are you afraid? Now that doesn't make much sense when you've, you know, he's, the storm's still going. By the way, Jesus was in the same storm, by the way, by God's will, by the Father's will. Jesus was in it. But he, he modeled for us how to deal with it, right? How to walk it out. And, and he looks at these boys after he wakes up from his nap and he says, why are you afraid? And what he's saying is, I'm right here. I'm right here. God, guys, do you believe that God is with you? In the most intimate way that history has ever experienced God in us by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. And if that's not true, you will not demonstrate fruit in your life. And if that's not true this morning, then let me give you a simple antidote. In childlike faith, just say to the Lord, I'm wrong and you're right. I'm lost and you're my finder. I'm broken and you're my healer. Like I I confess that I'm a sinner and you're my savior, Lord Jesus. And I need you more than I need my next breath. And I believe the cross was enough that you paid for my debt when you paid for the debt of humanity, you paid for mine. And if that's true, then I am, I am a saint. I am blameless. I am righteous. Not because of anything that I've done, but what you've done. So I, I, I declare you, not that he needs our declaration to be Lord. That's who he is. But I declare you Lord of my life. I'm going to be your, your bride. I'm going to be your helpmate. And from now on, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to be crucified with Christ that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That the life I live in the body, I'll live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And, you know, it's, you know, you know what saves us? A sincere, genuine, heartfelt faith in God and a surrender to his love. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. You don't have to know every theological concept. You just have to know that God is good, that he sent his son, right? Knowing that it, it, it was required for, for, for the sins of the world to be paid for because he needed a perfect lamb. And he, he did it because he loved you. That's why. That's the why. And Jesus raced to a cross that wasn't his to embrace a consequence of, of death that, wasn't, that he didn't have to. He, there was no sin to hold him. The grave wasn't big enough for him. He said, I'll lay down my life and I'll take it up again because I'm God, right? And that's how much he loves you. And all we got to do is just surrender to that love. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a precious moment 
where you just you just you're invited into him. It's not religion. It's an intimate relationship, as we've talked about. He's saying, enter into me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your soul. This is what he's inviting the world into. How do you respond to danger? He trusted the Father's plan. He trusted the Father's plan. He walked the plan laid out before him. He didn't avoid it. He didn't run from it. This doesn't mean that we throw caution to the wind and we're martyrs for like, yes, that might be the case, but it's, that's not the attitude. It's not cavalier. It's committed, right? And listen, to, just to, just to augment this point, listen, John seven thirty says this. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Do you think that God can spare you from the most dire circumstances? And if he doesn't, do you believe that that's just God's will? And that's good too. Do you believe it's gain? So what are we afraid of? Can you lose your life? And if you can't lose your life, what are you afraid of? Doesn't that just give us, like I, I always think about it in these terms. If you were playing a video game and all of a sudden you're given endless lives, aren't you a little bit more resolved? Aren't you a little bit more willing to face the danger? Right? Because you got endless lives. You can't die. Um, hello? That's exactly what Jim Elliott said. He is no fool, gives what he cannot keep. This life to gain what he cannot lose, eternal life. And that puts you in a posture. Did did Jim Elliott avoid danger? No, he raced into the South uh, American jungles in order to rescue a tribe that eventually killed him and his family went back after that and became a point that the, the instrument of rescue. And God rescued that tribe and many others. Because Jim Elliot was willing to give his life just the way Jesus did. And Jesus said this, no greater love than this, than a man lay down his life, his bodily, earthly life. Right? That's, that's what it is. And look in John 20, 20 uh, one chapter later, verse 20, it says in, in the Gospel of John, it says, these words he spoke in the treasury, like he's in the temple court area. And as they taught, and as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Do you trust that God, do you, tr- do you trust God for his perfect timing and protection? You know, um, I grew up in the Bahamas, so coming to the States was exciting. And it meant getting on a plane, which for me was also exciting. And I enjoy flying. I just, I, li- I like the takeoff. I like the landing. I like it all. Um, but I've, I've watched over years, I've watched people with white knuckle effect. You know, I like, watch people that are just, highly nervous and, and anxious for this moment. They, they're just unsettled in, in the entire journey. And if, they get, if, if turbulence comes, the plane goes into complete silence. And, you know, you know. And, um, but, you know, like it's in those moments that the Lord reminds me, if this is your appointed time, okay. But if it's not, I got you. Right? And isn't that true in every moment of our lives? Like, like, like we can rest in the fact that God, it, it wasn't his hour. It wasn't his hour. And when it was, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. And, and, and the Lord saw him through that too. Right? So do you trust God for his perfect timing and protection in the midst of danger? God had predetermined Jesus's appointed time. And he has for you too. Do you know we're even told that he, he has predetermined your start and your end before you lived the first day? Ironically, his enemies aided in God's plan. 
So here they are. They're, they're, going, they're trying to push him to Jerusalem. Well, where's, the, where, where, where's God leading his son? To Jerusalem. Right? They're, they're aiding in the plan. Like, they, unbeknownst to them, they're doing it in demonic terms. And God, God is using all of that. to. Doesn't that just blow your mind about the sovereignty of God? He, because he knows it all, he's omniscient, he can use it all. in order. It's like with Judas. He chose Judas, told his son, this is, he's, he's one of the, the twelve. And then Judas, t- totally culpable for his own choices, betrays Jesus. And listen, Judas went to hell, which we're told that in the scriptures, by the way. And Jesus knew it, what he was going to do long before he did. We're told that too. But he did that on his own volition. But God knew it too and used that knowing he would never turn to him in order to accomplish his purpose. Look at this. Look at this passage. We see it here as well. In Acts chapter 2, 22 to 24, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works. Now, this is after his, uh, his resurrection and ascension. He says, uh, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by, by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your, in your midst or presence. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that. Doesn't that just kind of solidify a lot of what we're talking about this morning? And as we finish this text, Jesus calls this Herod a fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I'll finish my course. So why does he call him a fox? Well, Nehemiah helps us understand the connotation within a Jewish culture. A fox to Jews as, as an animal and the, and the characteristics of that animal was crafty and cunning. But this is probably the most interesting fact I found about this is foxes hunt only at night. And Jesus walked in the light. In fact, he said he challenges us to walk in the day and that he is the light. Right. So Jesus was saying that he would finish his mission irrelevant of whoever's motives were to do whatever. See, foxes hunt at night. Jesus was walking in the light. And here's the question. Are you? Because that's what Jesus is challenging us to by his example. Are you walking in the light as he is in the light? And as I mentioned earlier, that will for, that will bring you into partnership and fellowship with those that are also walking in the light in a very intimate way that will cause deep love and affinity and care and affection. And so there are benefits to walking intimately with Jesus in, in community. Necessity, in fact. Right? So are you walking the narrow path? Are you pursuing an intimate relationship with Jesus? Because at the end of the day, that's all that's going to matter. That's it. Depart from me for I didn't know you. That's all that's going to matter. And, and then the other question is, is when danger comes, what's your, what's your present disposition? I mean, look, all of us have had a disposition to run, to do what the flesh is beckoning us to do, you know, our feelings beckon us to do. But like, what's your, what's your present disposition about it? When you face danger, and you will, because I, this is my conviction, I believe the narrow path the center of God's will is filled with danger. But it shouldn't be fear filled with fear. It should be consumed with faith and a trust 
in God's providence, his plan, his purpose. Nevertheless, Jesus says in 33, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following, the day following, for it, it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. You know what he's, he's saying is, your legacy is, everyone I've sent to call you to my presence, to call you back, to call you home, everyone you've killed or tortured or been highly disrespectful to as my messengers. And now, as Jesus used in parables, he says he sends his son and, and he tells them beforehand, and you killed him too, right? So I don't have a slide for this, but I want to share this with you. Acts 13, 27, listen to this. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, and fulfilled them by condemning him. They were killing him and doing exactly what God wanted to do to rescue the world. Guys, that's why we just need to trust him because we, we'll never figure out this glorious God and how he's accomplishing his redemptive plan because it goes, it, it just blows our mind, especially in the moment. Even in hindsight, it's hard to understand. But we trust him. Verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to them. God sends these people. And do you know, can I just say this this morning? You are sent. Go. That word go, right? Therefore go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son. Make them disciples, right? Teach them what I've taught you. And I'm going to be with you to see this through, right? We're, we're sent too, to a world. And you know, the reason that, that darkness is growing and, 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 and we have decay out there is because I believe it's not because it, it's, I mean, political circumstance. I, I think it's because the church isn't shining its light. We're not, we're not trusting God to, and it's, and we don't even, it's shining is not something we do. It's, it's a byproduct of spending time with him. So we're not abiding. We're not dwelling because if we do like Moses, we will just shine because we've been with him. And he says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, Jesus wanted to bring them under his care. This is what a hen does when there's danger. But they were not willing. Isn't that shocking? Sad. I believe it brought a heartbreak. Jesus was not mad. He was heartbroken. The call was to repent and to be saved. And they were not willing. And to finish this, so there's no misconceptions here. Behold, your house is forsaken. And let me be very clear. What he's saying here is he didn't forsake them. They forsook him. This is, he's, what he's saying here is forsaken through rejection. Guys, do you know that all the promises of God are realized in his presence? In an abiding relationship with him. But if we choose to reject and go our own way, we, we are rejecting the care, the protection, and the provision of the good shepherd. Right? He wants us close. Let me, let me say this too. The devil, the enemy is not afraid of you. He's not at all, right? But he's terrified of Jesus, your good shepherd, your bridegroom. He's terrified, shakes like 
even says, don't throw us there too early. Like, ah, like they're terrified. So where do we need to hang out? Oh, man. And he says, behold, your house is forsaken. That is an indictment, not on God's character, but on their legacy. Right? Of just rejecting, unwilling to come under his care. I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is, is, the, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he is pointing to, he's, he's pointing to his, his triumphal um, moment where he comes back. And, but he's more pointing to his return, his real coming back as king. That's what he's talking about. And, and, and why he's talking about that, guys? Because it resonates with everything he's just said. The door will be shut when I come back. And that's unfortunate because every knee will bow. At that moment, every tongue will confess. There will be no, there will be no unbelief. There will be no doubters when Jesus shows up and the east from the west sees it all. Right? In that moment. And every knee will bow. I hope that you know Jesus. I hope with all my heart, I hope you know him, intimately love him. If you have trusted him as Lord and Savior, he will promise, he's promised to seal you with his Holy Spirit, which is a pledge, pledge of his husbandry. And he's coming back for his bride to finish what he started and to lift the veil and to reveal himself so that you will, you will see him and be fully glorified. This is what his promise is. And he's never failed a promise. Yet, And if you don't know him, you're far from, from God, you know that that's a painful, empty place. Please come home to the one that said, this is as he said, I have come that they may have life and life to the full or abundantly. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great? So as the worship team comes and sings a song to help us prepare for communion this morning, um, I want to say this. If you're a believer, please stay and join join us for communion. If you're not a believer, you're welcome to uh, to, to stay. If you if you have just come to know Christ through through a moment here with the Lord, or maybe you're about to enter into a prayer of confession uh, and uh, and commitment. Um, but but communion is for the believer because you can't remember something that you have never experienced. And uh, and please prepare your hearts in this time. Make yourself ready for the opportunity to remember what Christ did for us. Remember his love, his sacrifice, and what he's purchased us from and to. Right? All right. Let's, uh, let's sing. Let's rejoice. Let's pray. Let's prepare and uh, be ready to, uh, to come to a table we've been invited to. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.